Amen. All right. Good morning, Reach Church. Good morning. All right. Uh, kids can head off to Reach Kids right now. And otherwise, please join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can cry out to you that you are our, our Hosanna, that you are the Savior, the one who has saved us, the one who has done everything that we need for salvation, that there is nothing left to be done, and that you will return, you will make the foundation shake, and you will come and, and give us that final salvation that we hope for in you. Father, we ask that by your word we might understand you better. We ask that you would use this text to, to give us a, a greater appreciation for that salvation, the fact that you are the Savior, that you are the Hosanna. And Father, would you bring it to our hearts through the Spirit that we may have greater conviction of our sin and greater joy that we have found salvation in you. We pray this in Christ's name. All righty. All right, so uh, we are kind of between series right now. So next week we are starting a brand new series in the book of Romans. Yeah, ooh. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, Romans is kind of the, the high point of theology in the Bible, you could say. Um, I'm excited about it because th that's kind of the book that... Uh, really helped me understand who God is, how he works, the nature of salvation, uh, kind of the big picture of what Jesus Christ really did when he died on the cross, how we take part in his righteousness and his perfection through faith. So this is an exciting time. I know for a lot of you, the book of Romans is uh, kind of a beloved book, and so we're excited to jump into it. So that'll start next week, but we're not there yet. And I thought as an appropriate introduction to the book of Romans, we'd spend this week talking about its author, Paul. So the book of Romans is, is high theology. It's kind of complicated. And we can miss the fact that behind this book is a man, and a man who was deeply influenced by the theology. It wasn't just kind of a, a mental exercise for him, that he loved this theology. He loved communicating it to the Romans because this was the salvation of him, his people, the Gentiles. It, it was personal. It meant something. And so today we're looking at uh, kind of the, the personality and how Paul thought of himself. And we do that so we might understand kind of this author of this book, but even more that we might understand how we are called to be like Paul, to think as he thought, to to understand ourselves as he did. So, uh, we're looking at kind of a, a, an odd passage. So, it's, this isn't Paul kind of in an interview. It's not his resume. He does that in other parts of the Bible. But this is kind of one of Paul's asides. So, Paul is talking about something completely different. And he kind of slips into describing his story and who he is. And I think that gives us a good picture of who Paul really is. Because this is not Paul like rehearsed. This is Paul, he just kind of accidentally says all this stuff. And he talks about his need for grace, uh, the mercy that he has found in Christ. It's just a part of who he is and it, it spills out all over the place. And so 
uh, we're going to see three things about Paul in this passage. We're going to see that Paul calls himself the foremost of sinners. That's how he describes himself. Then we're going to see how Paul understands God to, to come to him as the foremost of sinners. And then we're going to see why Paul understands God to have done that. So we're going to talk about how he is the foremost of sinners, what God does with the foremost of sinners, and then the reasons for God coming and giving grace to the foremost of sinners. So let's jump right into it. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. That's uh, 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And read with me. Verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. So this is Paul describing himself to Timothy, his protege, his kind of pastor in training. And let's talk about the context first. All right. The context is not Paul talking about himself. In the context, Paul is actually uh, warning Timothy. He's warning Timothy that there are false apostles out there. There are false apostles who aren't qualified to be apostles. That their theology isn't good enough. That their hearts are not right with God. And so they, they shouldn't be apostles and they aren't apostles. And that they shouldn't be listened to. And in verse 12, he says his, his qualifications. Verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service. Now, Paul, after rebuking the, the false apostles and telling Timothy to stay away from them, he essentially says, but, you know, I, I am uniquely able to be an apostle, that I'm qualified. Notice what he says here, that, that he thanks God for giving him the strength. He has the strength to be an apostle by the Lord. And that the Lord judged him faithful. That when, when God looked at Paul, he said, you, you are faithful enough to, to be an apostle of mine. To take the gospel to the people. And he's humble about that, but he's, at the same time, he's recognizing that, that he is uniquely gifted. And he's called to this above and beyond others. Now that, that in and of itself, it's, it's quite a claim of Paul. He's fairly confident in saying this. It's, it seems kind of presumptuous, but he doesn't stay there. He could stay there. He could kind of linger there and say that, like, you know, I'm just, 
pretty awesome and very faithful and very mature. But he can't, he can't stay there long. And he immediately slips into his testimony and where he used to be. His disqualifications for the ministry in a sense. Look at verse 13. So he's just saying all the qualification. And though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul can't, can't stay on the moral high ground for long. He immediately, he comes back down and reminds Timothy, who knows already? Timothy knows Paul. But he has to say it. He has to say, no, no, uh, remember, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Now let's break down what, what that means. All right, a blasphemer. That's a good word. Uh, a blasphemer Someone who slanders God, who accuses God of, of evil, of, of lies. Now, how was Paul a blasphemer? Now, when he, he came to Christ, he accused Jesus of being a, a faithless liar. That he was a, a political insurrectionist and not a very good one who claimed to be God and lied about it and was destroyed on the cross, rightfully so. That was Paul's assessment of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't take Jesus Christ. He would just say, Jesus. He didn't think he's the Christ. And when Paul, when Paul talked about Jesus, he would have called Jesus the blasphemer, proclaiming to be God, and Jesus got his just comeuppance, that he was killed on the cross for his blasphemy. All right, so that's Paul. Paul was a blasphemer taking the Son of God, the true incarnate God, and totally belittling him and slandering him to the people. Paul was a persecutor. A persecutor, someone who harasses and oppresses Christians. Now, he took, he took great pride in the fact that he was a persecutor. And he went house to house, finding the Christians and dragging them into prison. He, he claims that he, he set it upon himself to be the destroyer of the church, the false church as he understood it. And when Stephen, this great believer, is proclaiming Jesus Christ, seeing Jesus standing in heaven saying, forgive them. They know not what they do. Paul was there ordering him to be stoned to death, approving of the whole process. That is Paul. He's a persecutor of the church. And finally, he's an insolent opponent. Here's a vocab word for you. Insolent means rude, rude and arrogant. That he was an opponent to the church, not kind of just practically. He did, it, he did it with great pride and with great rudeness and arrogance. He says that, that as he was doing all these things, he was blameless before the law. That's how he saw himself, as blameless. That he was actually going to receive rewards in heaven for having kind of taken care of the heretics of the church. So, that is Paul. 
That is who Paul describes to, to Timothy. He, has, he says at one time that, yeah, I am this, this great leader, but you must never forget, this is where I come from. And if he didn't do that, he'd be presenting a, a false gospel, a false message. He, he wouldn't be giving Timothy the whole picture. And he takes every opportunity to do that, to present himself as what he calls the foremost of sinners. That if there are a sin competition, Paul would win. The chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, you could say the greatest of sinners if you went the other way, that he is the worst of the worst. And he does that because he doesn't want to confuse Timothy. He doesn't want to present this kind of illusion of grandeur. No, he wants Timothy to see the gospel and to see how the gospel was at work in Paul. Now, that's a, kind of forces a question for us. How do we think of ourselves? When we are kind of lifted up, are we drawn back to the fact that we have no right to be lifted up? That we are the foremost of sinners? And this is, this is not Paul like reflecting on it. It's, it's, that's just immediately what comes out. That he can't say the one without the other. He's always reminded, constantly going back to the fact that he was a sinner in need of grace long before he was anything else. Is that our heart? Is that our identity? Is that who we are? When we tell our stories, do we tell the stories like we've always been saved? Or like we were, we were subtle sinners, we were mediocre sinners, or are we the foremost of sinners? Now, in hearing about Paul, you might be thinking, well, I, maybe Paul was worse than I am. Like, I'm I, persecution, blasphemy. Um, maybe we have trouble identifying with being the foremost of sinners because we, we hear this and we think, well, yeah, Paul, Paul's pretty bad. All right, so uh, let, me, let me try to convince you. Uh, before we came to Christ, we were all blasphemers. Now, what did you think of God before you knew Christ? What did you think of him? I know what I thought of him. I thought he was boring and irrelevant and kind of trying to control my life and ruin it. Um, maybe you thought that God was oppressive or distant and kind of removed Before we knew Christ and the grace of God in Christ, we were blasphemers. We couldn't have been anything but because we didn't know God as he was, as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. And the problem is that even now, we are still blasphemers. I was, I was with a, uh, doing Christian counseling and my counselor told me I was, I was blaspheming and it was kind of, kind of rough. Like, wait, and it was, I was, I was, Doubting the goodness of God and accusing God of kind of evil in my life that he'd kind of messed some things up and I was angry at him. 
And I was so self-focused. And she, she pointed back and said, no, you realize you're blaspheming God. That this is the good, perfect, wise God. And here you're calling him weak or cruel or, or evil even. And that's partially what we do whenever we, we doubt God. Or at least doubt God in a way that is sinful. That we accuse him of, of being cruel, of being ignorant, of being powerless. We blaspheme him. So we were and we still are blasphemers. All right. How are we persecutors before we were, came to faith? Persecutors. All right. What did you think of Christians before you became a Christian? I can speak for myself. I just thought they were kind of dumb. Uh, maybe just kind of like too out there. And I thought I was a Christian, but the, like, the real Christians that I knew, uh, we called them super Christians because they were too dedicated and they liked Jesus too much and they just took it overboard and they were dumb. Uh, that's how we thought of Christians. Then when I, when I met Shekinah, Shekinah Scannell, I thought it was the stupidest name ever because who would name them that? And like, I still think that and I, that's mean. Um, <laughs> like... That, that's their act of worship, and I'm actually like persecuting them for the way that they're worshiping and honoring Christ. And that's where, even as I say that, like we have to recognize that we are still persecutors of Christians. How does this look? Um, do you ever encounter a Christian who's like doing the good Christian thing, and you kind of roll your eyes? And they say like, oh, like let's pray now, and you're like, oh, I don't really want to pray. Or they like quote a Bible verse and you're like, I already know that Bible verse. Like that's, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing is that kind of stuff. Or they offer an encouragement about Christ and you're like, no, I don't want to hear that. We, we persecute them for being faithful and doing exactly what they need to be doing. Uh, we gossip about one another. We judge one another. We persecute one another. In Christ, we're, we're, we're persecutors. We were and we are still. All right. Insolent opponents. Before we knew Christ, we were, we were rude opponents of God and of the church. Now, how does, how does this reflect? Uh, as I think about this, uh, I thought I was pretty good. I don't think I knew Christ, but I claimed to be a Christian. And according to, to my law, I was blameless. And like Jesus, Jesus died, that's great. Um, but I didn't really care. Uh, I was fine. I didn't really need a savior. And every day we, we can be opponents to God. That we know his will for our lives. We know exactly what we should be doing. And yet we go the other way. We choose not to obey. We choose not to follow. We look for joy and fulfillment somewhere else. We're opponents to God's will. All right. Are you buying it? Do you buy yourself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent? The thing is that if, if we truly understand where our hearts are 
we all need to be convinced that we are the foremost of sinners. That we can compete with Paul. And you know what? We can probably outdo Paul. Now your next question is probably, well, was Paul really the foremost of sinners? You can think of more horrible people. I'm sure you can try. You can, you can think of some people. Um, I think that's missing the point. Because how can Paul confidently say he's the foremost of sinners? He doesn't know everyone. But the thing is, he knows his own heart. He knows his own legalism. He knows with what joy and fervor he persecuted Christ. He knows where his heart is. And he alone knows that he is, he is a great sinner, greater than anyone else. And that's where each of us need to be. Not because we, we need to kind of feel bad about ourselves, just because that's the reality. Is that if you look into the depths of your heart and ask yourself, like, why am I really doing this? What's, what's really going on? We're going to find that we are the foremost of sinners. And that we have sin there that we don't see in anyone else because we can't. So, what does this look like to be the foremost of sinners? You should be seeing your sin every day. Every interaction. Because it's there. And that's where, if you're not seeing it, you need to start playing the, the sin hunt game. Alright, the foremost of sinner game. Uh, Let's, let's, let's learn to play the game. Um, so, it's best played with someone that you think you're judging or think is wrong to you. That's usually the best time to play it. Uh, so, spouses, when you're fighting with your spouse, that's a good time to play. Kids, when you're fighting with your siblings, that's a good time to play the find your sin game. All right, so let's, let's play. All right, first, first, go through the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Now, you might be able to pass those. All right, maybe. Probably not the first one. Love God, no. Okay, but uh, all right. Second. All right, Ten Commandments. Now, now do Jesus' expounding of the Ten Commandments on the Sermon on the Mount. All right, so now we're taking the, the outward commandments to the heart to see if there's, there's sin in our minds, in our hearts, in our emotions, in our wills. All right, then we take it to love your neighbor as yourself. All right, am I, am I loving this person as I would love myself? With the same grace I would give myself, with the same gentleness I would give myself. Then ask yourself, am I, am I loving the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? So this is not just, am I not doing anything bad? Am I doing as much good as I can? Am I pursuing to love the Lord in this instance? Is there any idolatry in my heart? Am I seeking God's glory first and foremost? And then finally, am I doing it out of joy for what God has done for me? Out of joy for my salvation? All right. If you did it right, you, you shouldn't have passed the test. <laughs> and if you think you did, you need to go play again and try, try again. Uh, 
there's always sin there. There's always sin. And you start to realize that in every fight, you also need to ask for forgiveness. Every time. Without, without doubt. You need to believe that you are the, the foremost of sinner. Not that your spouse is, not that your kids are, not that your boss is. You. And you need to see your sin first and foremost. That's, that's your responsibility. To deal with your heart and see the sin. All right. Second point. Second point. All right. So Paul, Paul calls himself the foremost of sinners. But what gives him the strength to do that? We don't like to, to admit our sin. We don't like to see it. But Paul is able to because he knows how God treats sinners. Verse 13. But, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul can bear with the weight of his sin. He can be the foremost of sinners because he knows how God deals with these sinners. That, that God gives mercy. He does not judge and condemn him for the fact that he is the blasphemer and persecutor and insolent opponent that he is. Now there's a confusing statement in here. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Alright, that makes it sound like uh, that the only reason he has mercy is because he did it ignorantly. Alright, that's, that's not what it means. Not saying that like, oh, if you don't really know what you're doing, then, then God will give you mercy. No. That's, that's not how it works. It's, it's instead saying, I received mercy because of my great ignorance and unbelief. Because of all the things I did out of opposition and unbelief, God is giving me mercy. He needs mercy because of these things. This isn't, this isn't giving himself an excuse. This is saying exactly why he needs the grace and mercy in and of itself. Because of his great unbelief and the actions that came out of it. He's not trying to distance himself from the sin. All right, so he received mercy. He doesn't get the punishment he's, he deserves. And then he gets grace. All right, every time you see grace, you should say free gift. Grace, free gift. And what is the free gift in this, this place? The grace of our Lord overflowed. So it's pouring out these free gifts for me with two things. The faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now this is not saying... Though this is true, this is not saying that God poured out his love and said like, I love you, Paul. That's not the grace that's talked about here. Instead, it's the grace that says, that gives Paul, Paul, I'm going to give you the faith and love that you need to believe in me and love me. That he, ha he was full of unbelief, he was full of hatred for God, hatred for Christ, and unbelief, and God gives him the love that he needs and the faith that he needs. That he gives him everything he needs to follow and obey God. That is how God deals with sinners. With the foremost of sinners. He says, have this free gift of love for me in Christ. Have this free gift of faith in me in Christ. And then verse 15, he summarizes what it's like to, 
to be a sinner. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He's fully confident of this statement that, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. What did he not do? Jesus did not come to find all the good people. That's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to encourage and teach the neutral people who were just kind of confused. No, he came to save the sinners. To save the people who are dead and who are evil. And he did it. He did it by, by dying for those who are dead. By taking the punishment for those who deserve to be punished. By taking the wrath of God for those who deserve the wrath of God. And then he gives us the free gift of his perfection, his righteousness, his goodness. That's how you be good. By being a sinner who has been perfect, perfected in Jesus. Who gives it to you. We're going to talk more about that in Romans. But notice how personal this is. I want to make sure that when we go through Romans, we see that. That Paul is not talking about all this theology as just kind of this esoteric, out there stuff. Just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. No, this is, this is his salvation. This is his joy. This is the mercy and grace that he desperately needed. That we desperately need. All right. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? You can be a sinner because Jesus came to save sinners. It's the only people he come to save. And so you can stop comparing yourself to other people. You, you can be a sinner worse than everyone else. Actually, you should, you should think you're the worst of sinners, worse than anyone else. You, you can stop defending yourself. You can stop making excuses. So often we, we make the excuses like, oh, I would... Why did why'd you, why'd you do that? Like, oh, I was tired. I was hungry. I had a bad day. Uh, I don't know. My foot hurts. Like, no. Like, it's because you're a sinner and you sinned. You, that's okay. It's not, it's not okay, but it's paid for in Christ. And that's the end of it. We don't need to, to fake it or pretend not to be sinners. And the result will be that you will love Jesus Christ more. That he who has been forgiven much loves much. That the more we understand our sin, the more we understand our forgiveness. And that the foremost of sinners become the foremost lovers of Jesus Christ. That they love him because they understand how much he has done for them. All right. Last point. All right. Why does God come and save the foremost of sinners like you and me and Paul? Verse 16. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That Paul becomes an example of perfect patience. 
the patience of Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, it was against Jesus that he was sinning. He was, he was blaspheming Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus himself, actually. When, when Jesus comes and meets Paul, he says, why are you persecuting me? That in persecuting Christians, he was destroying the body of Jesus Christ. He was persecuting Jesus. And he was the insolent opponent of Jesus Christ himself. But Jesus, in response to that, he was patient. And he would not let Jesus, or would let Paul be destroyed for it. And he poured out his grace and he saved him. And now, Paul goes forth and he tells that story. That he is an example of God's perfect patience for the foremost of sinners. Now, if Paul didn't go out, this, this whole reason for God showing him mercy would be non-existent. If he stopped telling the story the way he did and started telling his story as, you know, I'm just really righteous and you need to be too, then he'd no longer be an example of patience. He'd be an example of condemnation. But he tells this story, he reminds people of where he's been, and he becomes an example of the perfect patience of Jesus Christ. All right. What are you an example of? What are you an example of? Are you an example of God chooses nice people and you need to be nicer? Are you an example of kind of a, a Christian is try harder and do more? Are you an example of God is judgmental and scary? Or are you an example of God's perfect patience? You only become that if you are the foremost of sinners. That the foremost of sinners becomes the foremost of witnesses. That can go to people and say, you know what, like, I'm the foremost of sinners and God saved me. Like, he can definitely do it for you. That should be our testimony. Not, I'm really good. Don't you want to be like me? Or, it's just, no. He can save you. He saved me. Foremost of sinners become the foremost witnesses. And finally, Paul ends with worship. Remember, this is, this is in context, this is not what Paul was going to talk about. He just accidentally poured into his testimony. And <laughs> here in the middle of like this argument to Timothy, we see verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And, then, and then, he, then he just keeps going with the rest of the letter. He spontaneously combusts in worship. He, he, can't, he can't help it. And like it's, it's actually, it's like not the most eloquent of phrasing. The king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. He just like starts throwing out random <laughs> attributes of God. Uh, invisible, that's not one you see very much. Like you just, he's excited. And he overflows, and he can't help but worship. And he kind of takes this brief pause and like, oh, well, let's worship while we're talking about false apostles, and then just jump right back into it. That's what happens when you're the foremost of sinners. 
you spontaneously just erupt with combust. That sounds kind of brutal, but uh, you <laughs> erupt with, with giving God glory and honor. And that's how it's supposed to work. And if we want to be great worshipers, if we want to be the foremost of worshipers, we need to be the foremost of sinners who have found mercy and grace and patience in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. As the immortal, invisible, king of all kings, deserving of all honor and glory. Father, we give you all glory and honor for your great mercy and grace that you've shown us, the foremost of sinners. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can be real with our sin and we can trust that Jesus Christ has taken care of, of every last drop of sin and killed it on the cross and risen from the dead and, and we are now raised to life with him. Father, we ask that you might give us great humility. You might get us, give us insight into our sin and that we might do so not with despair, but that we might understand the grace that we have found in Jesus. That we may become great worshipers. That we may share our faith with others. And Father, that we may love and adore Jesus Christ. Apply these things to our hearts and change our hearts that we might bask in the glory of your grace. We pray in Jesus Christ's name.